And today I'm here with Bryna Starler, author of the debut novel, Anne of Manhattan. This is so exciting. I'm so happy to have you. How are you doing today? I'm great. Hi, Abigail. I'm really happy to be here. I'm excited. I cannot wait to talk to you about Anne of Manhattan, which, um, by the way, comes out the day before this episode comes out. So you can just scroll down right now if you're interested and uh, hit that hit that link that I'm going to have in the description and get yourself a copy. Um, I binged your book oh. yesterday in one well. sitting. Oh, um, awesome. I was like, I was like, oh, you know, I'll, I'll take like breaks and stuff and I'll like do maybe do some other stuff uh-huh. and whatever. And then I sat down and then I didn't get up for like four hours. Um, oh my God. That's so <laughs> funny. It's it's so good. I kind of, I am kind of a reluctant contemporary reader because mm-hmm. I'm very much a... I, I like when there's like fangs in there somewhere or like, you know, just a little yeah. sprinkle of something. Yes. So I, I I kind of I have a tendency to be like, oh, well, you know, it's pro- it's probably going to be really good. But I don't know. It's, it's, yeah. it's I don't know. It, and then I got magic. so sucked in. Yeah, I got so sucked in. Um, you you created so much magic. Um, oh, thank you. So. If you can't tell by the title, listeners, mm-hmm. this book is a retelling of Anne of Green Gables. Yes. Um, and I'm going to admit something to you right now. I have never consumed even any Anne of Green Gables via osmosis. None of it. So I'm, co- I'm coming in so fresh and not like oh, I, yeah. I definitely haven't avoided it. I just don't yeah. think it's one of those things I think you kind of have to be introduced mm-hmm. to when you're young, like by family or um, we yeah. were a Jane Austen household, not an Anne of Green Gables household. Yeah, um, see, I was a um, Anne of Green Gables, Little Women, um, mm-hmm. God, Secret Garden. Um, oh, yeah. But, yeah, that was that was where we where we were. I think my mom gave me all those books. But um, Jane Austen waited till I hit college, actually. Um, yeah. yeah, my mom had the like the like ten part VHS set of uh of of the A and E special that oh. she just played on a loop. Uh, <laughs> so I didn't stand That's a chance. Oh, yeah. Um, but I I'm really interested because so we I have been on this podcast doing mm-hmm. a podcast within a podcast of the history of romance and so we've been kind of chronicling uh the the books that made the genre um all the way back to pamela um and and uh the flame and the flower regrettably <laughs> i will make my own confession i have never read any of those old school like super famous romances from the 70s and the 80s i've never you know I came I came to romance actually kind of late. I think I was like 30. Um and uh I'm in my early 40s now. Um but I think I was 30 before I read my first pure genre romance. Um Mm -hmm. apparently I've been reading my romance my whole life and I didn't realize Mm -hmm. it because I was super into like sci-fi fantasy. Mm -hmm. And it occurred to me later that um all of the sci-fi fantasy that I've been reading pretty much had romance in it. And I wasn't interested if it didn't. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. It sneaks up on you a little bit, huh? 
Yeah. I, I, we've talked about it before. I think every, every author I've had on the pod, right. Mm. We've, we've kind of ended up circling around this point of romance denial where Mm -hmm. a lot of times it's not even conscious. You're not Mm -hmm. really avoiding, you know, reading it or, or writing it or admitting that, but it's kind of an unconscious thing of like, oh yeah, no, I, I only like the, these books. Well, why? Oh, uh, you, you know, I uh, they kiss sometimes in it, uh, but that's not that's what's uh, what's super important. I swear. Oh, that's funny. Um, it's a very common thing. It's uh, yeah. I, every everyone I've talked to who who reads and writes romance. That's that's kind of in the common thread of some denial in there somewhere. And there's yeah. always like this journey of self discovery, then to admit mm-hmm. that you want to write it as well. Like, yeah, thing. I actually don't know. I, I can't remember. I can't pinpoint the moment when I was like, "Oh, I'm going to read straight romance novels." And um, I I don't know if I just had gotten so burnt out on sci-fi fantasy because it was all I read. I think from like maybe twelve, maybe even earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, my first book that my dad read to me, my first book was The Neverending Story. So it was like pretty much my whole life until almost thirty. So. I think maybe I just gotten burnt out. I was looking for something new. And, um, mm-hmm. but I do remember the book that inspired me to write my first romance, which has been now trunked and no one will ever see it. Um, feeling well. yes. <laughs> it was Sarah McLean and it was, uh-huh. um, her, uh, what is it? Is it 10 rules to break when romancing a rape? I think that's, uh-huh. it was, I think it was her first adult historical romance. Uh-huh. Um, and it was so good that I, it was so clever and it was so funny. And her romance heroine was so interesting to me because she was a bit of a spinster and she was, you know, very reluctant to embrace that. And she's like, why should I? I want to live a life. And it was so interesting to me. And I just fell in love with the genre. And then I just progressed through it in all the different subgenres ever since. So, Well, yeah. that's kind of how it goes. I mean, you get that like... That that first hit of mm-hmm. one that really just strikes a chord with you, and then yeah. and then it, then it's just so easy from there because right. you realize that this like these doors are thrown open and it's 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 like Scrooge McDuck's like uh, vault or whatever the heck, yes. right? Like, <laughs> is there so there's yeah. so many coins to dive through? Uh, just shove them in your pockets. Um, I my first my first romance novel officially that I that I ever read was I was thirteen. I bought it with a get Amazon gift card that I got for my birthday <laughs> off of an ad on fanfiction.net. And it oh. was Cressley Cole's Kiss of the Demon King. Oh, that is an interesting one to start with that 13. <laughs> Arguably one of her nastiest. <laughs> That's so fun. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I remember just kind of like sitting in my room afterwards and being like, I... I don't know if I was, yeah, I don't know if I was supposed to, huh, okay. Um, Is there a sequel to that though? (laughs) Yeah, as you're saying there. I, I, and it's funny because I didn't touch Cressley Cole after that for another like 10 years, but Mm. that I, I will never forget it. And I now have read all of her books except for one because I always have to leave one unread. Yeah, uh, it's my break class in case of emergency book. Um, but I, I, I think we all have we all have our intros, right? And I, 
I, I find it fascinating. Everyone has has their book. Um, mm. And I do know that a lot of people, their book, their intro to romance right. is Anne of Green Gables. Um, and I didn't know it was like a romance for a very long time. I just assumed yeah. it was some sort of old timey tale. I don't know. Right. <laughs> like, you know, oh, it's a classic. It's classic literature. It's got to be boring. Oh, it's you about know. like a sad orphan She's or something. So oh, my God. It's so funny. The first book is so funny. I got that. I definitely, after reading your book, I was like, I was like, okay, I feel like I've been missing out on something. Because, <laughs> like, this is incredibly funny. Anne is... Oh, thank you. I, I got the impression that Anne was, from from what I gleaned from, from media and what all, um, kind of unlikable. I don't know, like shrill mm-hmm. and sort of like, yeah. I don't know. I don't, I, I, which is not fair at all. I, I don't know how I picked that up. Probably, I don't know, some internal misogyny or something like that. Something terrible. Well, but. you know, a lot of times in the, um, a lot of the characters in the, in the first book, because she's a loud child, she mm-hmm. doesn't make herself small for other people. Mm-hmm. She, um, you know, she's a dreamer and she doesn't want anybody to crush that. Um, mm-hmm. And so sometimes she's not where she's supposed to be or doing what she's supposed to be doing, or she says things she's not supposed to. Um, and because she's an orphan and because she's not a very pretty girl as a young mm-hmm. girl, um, and she's not super girly like other girls her her age, what they were into. Um, a lot of the adults in the first novel kind of look at her like she's this weird, annoying creature. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, you know, it's kind of discovering throughout the book that like, She's not, she's just different. And people sometimes don't like different, but it's okay to be different. And it's okay to be a dreamer and not let people make you small. Right. So I I fully get that now. I, I and I and I relate to it very heavily. I, I wish yeah. I had read Anne of Green Gables as a kid because, you know, I think I don't know if in this business. Right. Like, I yeah. feel like a lot of us can relate very heavily to being that like mm-hmm. kid who kind of just makes up their own stories and yeah. plays by herself and, yeah. and, you know, is off in her own world and isn't always fitting in the mold. Um, I I uh, I'm a I'm a bookseller. Um, as well. And I, one of my, my managers recently made a comment to me, um, about how everybody who works in a bookstore is a weirdo. And, and I was like, I was <laughs> I like, actually, then, you know, everyone who works in a yeah. bookstore is their own unique sort of weirdo. Yes. Um, and, and I feel like, you know, we all can relate to that. It's, it's a very, you know, somebody who dedicates their lives to stories mm-hmm doesn't always fit in the mold. Um, and that's not always likable. Um, right. And I I felt that come through very strongly in your book, this idea of Anne being kind of unbending in her effort to just be true to who she is, even when it's, I mean, the most difficult of circumstances, right? Of yeah. Anne being right. a, a an orphan uh, right. in terrible, terrible circumstances in a group home with kids who who hate her and with you know families who don't want her and i I, the strength of will that that takes to survive that and come out okay is something remarkable um i i just i i was really blown away by that uh in your book um and i i was it was funny because i was reading it and i kept having this like 
feeling of deja vu. And I was like, okay, I know for sure that I have not read any or watched any of Anne of Green Gables. Where am I getting this? And I'm going to pull something really niche right now, okay? Okay. Yeah. Hit me. (laughs) Have you ever heard of Opal Whiteley? No. No. I have a book here that I picked up at a used bookstore years ago. Uh, and it's uh, out of print now. Um, it's by both Opal Whiteley and Benjamin Hoff, uh, a biography and afterward by Benjamin Hoff. Yeah. And it is about a young woman. When she was a child, she was renowned for being basically an un- completely uneducated literary mm. and uh, like nature prodigy mm. out of Oregon. Um, and I, and I was really moved by, by her story when I read it years ago Mm -hmm. and her story ends very sadly. Um, she's basically called out for being a fraud, uh, because even though there's no evidence of that at all, she just Mm -hmm. had an extremely creative mind. She had this huge following of, of her literature that she created like this stream of consciousness stuff. Mm -hmm. She wrote on like tree bark. Um, she like taught herself how to read, um, and and then she her life ended up very sadly. Her family basically abandoned her. She got extremely mentally ill, and she died in poverty. That's, oh, that's a really so grim sad. way to end that story. Yeah. <laughs> However, so sad. I pulled the I pulled the book out, and on page number four, hmm. uh, Benjamin Hoff pulls a piece of a newspaper report on uh, by. Opal's grandmother in 1920, mm-hmm. after her family has basically come out and said, like, oh, yeah, we think, like, she just made everything up. Like, it's, you know, right. she wasn't like, yeah. It's, they're not great people. But yeah. um, the way she describes her granddaughter was Anne to a T. Um, she said... She was always a queer girl, a great hand to ask questions. She nearly worried Lizzie, her mother, to death, asking questions about all sorts of things at all sorts of times. When she wasn't chittering or asking questions or reading or writing, she would be looking at nothing with big eyes in what some people call a brown study, but what I call inattention and absent-mindedness. She used to have such queer fancies about the wind and the trees and the stars talking to her. I never did understand her. (sighs) And that really does. And that that nails it. I I hope my Anne, but also Ella Montgomery's Anne. Oh my mm-hmm. gosh. I mean, and that's that's the thing that you know I drew on is just um trying to capture that sort of essence of Anne that she looked at the world with wonder all the time. Mm-hmm. And that was never really in the original book, I feel like my and probably isn't as wonder, wondrous of the world as she grows older. And that's probably because I had to modernize her a little bit. And maybe it would have come off yeah. as Dixie a little. And I didn't want yeah. her to shift that way. Um, and Elle Montgomery, I mean, she, I do think you should read the books if you can, because she is, she was such an amazing writer. And she, you know, full-grown woman, but she captured this girl, this, this young girl, like, you know, all middle grade writers can do just completely embodying her and um, giving her such complexity and depth. And I, I loved how her relationship and uh, her relationship with Matthew and Marilla was instrumental in sort of giving her something she had never had before. You know, she had a self of, you know, a sense of self-confidence and she knew who she was from a very young age. 
Yeah. Um, but she didn't know what it was like to have family. She didn't know what it was like to have unconditional love. And that's what she found with Matthew Morella. So, mm-hmm. you know, in the original book, and I hope that comes across in mind too. So I think it definitely does. I what I really enjoyed it was this fabric of family that you mm. weave with all of her friends and and Avonlea and like uh just everyone who's kind of casually enters the story. Mm-hmm. They don't feel like cameos. They feel like just another thread in her in her tapestry, right? Yeah. Um and and I I think that is is really apparent, especially when you compare the fact that like uh our boy Gilbert has mm. been gone. His his thread has yes. been missing from this right. tapestry for six years when we kind of come back to the story. Right. Um so to that end, uh how how would you frame how you began this rewrite in terms of like where is mm-hmm. Anne in our world today? Yeah, so um I would say, you know, I I, I don't like to pinpoint years. So I just mm-hmm. say modern times. Yeah. But um but I would say, you know, we're coming into the story as she's attending her last year of grad school. Um I think I, I think she's about 24. And so she's about to start her last year of grad school and it's sort of a nostalgic thing for her because she's excited to start her life. She's excited to start the last year, but at the same time, it's a little bit, you know, she just moved things uh, out of Green Gables. And so it's a, it's a bit of a, um, it's a emotional bit time. Right. Yeah. yeah a little bittersweet. Um, but the thing that I felt was really important because I know a lot of people haven't read Anna Green Gables. Um, mm-hmm. And I was, I'm hoping, you know, this will be like the gateway drugs to yeah. Anna Green Gables. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I knew a lot of people hadn't. So I do a lot of time shifts, time slips mm-hmm. back and forth. Yes. Um, so we start off modern day, but then we go back. Uh, I think it was to high school or middle school. And then we come back to modern and then we go back it doesn't happen every other, every chapter, but I try to go back enough so that people understand why her and Gil are where they are, why her and Diana are where they are, why Anne, you know, where Anne is in her life and like what brought her there. So, mm-hmm. yeah. I I was very interested too because I did have some frame of reference for like, okay, I know the story starts when she's like 12. So yeah. I wasn't sure. I thought, Maybe okay, you were just gonna skip to her being an adult because you know this is a romance novel. And, you know, yeah, <laughs> um, but uh, and and then we were just gonna like sort of sprinkle in mm-hmm. like background, right? Nice. Um, so I I was. I, I found it very interesting the way you kind of wove the past and the present to mm-hmm. kind of bring in the books you didn't write, which was, yeah. you know, the, the prequels to this yeah. moment. Um, yeah. And and I, I I really enjoyed that. I enjoyed the context it gave. Particularly, I want to say, I really enjoyed the scene, which is the, the night before she goes to Green Gables. And mm-hmm. she is... Uh, her her only toy that she's ever had uh, that's been hers alone is destroyed mm-hmm. by one of the kids at the group home. Um, and it's this really like, it's this really gut-wrenching scene because you kind of want to cry for her, you know? Yeah. You, you want to cry for her and be like, it's 
it's gonna be okay but she doesn't know it yet but she is so much stronger i think than the reader because she's like she doesn't cry she gets even (laughs) yeah well and and shirley has a fiery Mm -hmm. temper and i think Uh in any iteration of Anne, that is something you absolutely have to you have to include she has a short fiery temper and sometimes this was ice cold though yeah sometimes it leads her to do things she probably shouldn't do or say but it's cold um, she didn't have any consequences for this one it was fine (laughs) but yeah no i and that scene actually um was a little bit of a balancing act for me because i was i you know wanted to um you know i definitely wanted to sort of highlight her loneliness and you know, there's a difference between loneliness and being alone. And I think yeah. Anne was kind of both. She was okay with being alone because she was okay with herself and, and entertaining herself and, and being solitary. But there's always going to be, I think, when you truly are alone, that threat of loneliness that you can't really circumvent. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, I do want to say, I know that not all children, orphanages or group homes are cruel children. I no. know there are tons of lovely children out there. Um, my cousin has there are a lot of ants. A lot of beautiful kids out there, lovely kids. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also know from personal experience in middle school that children can be cruel, especially if they sense a weakness. So, you know, they just go go right for the throat. And so that was sort of a, an opportunity to show, you know, that um, she can deal with it, but it, you know, sometimes those things happen and, and it's sad, but it's, you know, something you have to what? get through sometimes. I I thought you brought it, you brought a remarkable maturity to, to Anne, mm-hmm. um, not because Anne is not a mature character, but I really, I, I was very touched by the way Anne goes out of her way later in the book because, um, uh, small spoilers uh later on her her and her and our, our main mister uh start like an after school program for kids to teach them how to write and it's this right. whole thing um and there's a there's a troublesome student who really is very talented um but she man she's just deeply unpleasant and she, she kicks up a fuss all the time and and Anne makes it her mission to connect with this girl um even when she kind of verbally abuses Anne quite a bit um and and I and I felt like that made sense with Anne's background Anne's experience she does not take the cruelty of children in her past as a a something to be said about them and more to be said about their circumstances um and and I thought that was that was so just like, yeah, that's that's true. That that is yeah. the thing. It's kids aren't there's always something else going on. And mm-hmm. if anybody can understand that, it's Anne. Right. And and she is a deeply empathetic person, um, character mm-hmm. in, in, you know, um all versions of her. And I keep, you know, I keep referring back to the original series. Um, mm-hmm. but you know, in the original series, as she gets older, one of the um books a little bit later in her life. Uh, Marilla actually adopts, well, she again winds up taking in uh, a kid who, you know, this one, again, they were kind of an accident, but it was twins. And uh, the girl, Dora, is, you know, just the perfect child to the point of blandness, but she's just the perfect child. And Davy is like the little hell child, you know, he Mm -hmm. gets into everything all the time and he's just a nightmare. 
but he's also so cute and sweet that nobody can hold anything against him, right? But I think, you know, in that version and then the other children that she helps as an actual school teacher in the original mm-hmm. series, you can see that empathy coming through where she she doesn't excuse behavior, but she understands where it's coming from. Mm-hmm. And so she tries to work with that instead of dismissing it or getting angry or just brushing it aside. Yeah. So, yeah. Absolutely. Um, you know, speaking of, of you know, the original series and, and you know, clearly it, it means a lot to you or you wouldn't have, have written the book. I cannot imagine yeah. taking on something like that. Like my personal, I'm as, yeah. as an aside, my white whale is rewriting Pamela. I will do that someday. Yeah. No one is asking me to, but I'm gonna. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, I am such a Pamela stan. Anyway, um, but I, I, I wanted to get your thoughts on, you know, mm-hmm. since this, this, the material in the books mm-hmm. is, if you dig a little deeper, so heart-wrenching and, yeah. and has so much to say about children and how we treat children and how children mm-hmm. are shaped by the forces around them and right. how they shouldn't have to be resilient right. um, and how kindness, even a little bit, can change someone's life so completely. Right. Um I, I think the the books mean a lot to a lot of people. Oh, yeah. um, we got some we got Absolutely. some and stance, uh, oh, yeah. and I I was wondering how you felt about taking on this project. Um, you know, putting yourself out there and reshaping it to your vision, and how it's been received, and how you kind mm. of how you're how yes. you're kind of girding yourself maybe for yes so okay so it's a it's a little bit of an interesting story on how this whole project started mm-hmm. um and so it'll take me a minute to tell you because it is an interesting story um mm-hmm. so my editor uh tessa woodward over at harper collins at william Morrow, she is amazing and i've been following her for a long time on twitter and one day she put out there she had she does this thing, uh, well, a lot of agents and editors do this thing called manuscript wish list tweets. Mm-hmm. And it's basically whatever they want to see coming across their desk. And so she was like, and and by the way, you guys should follow her. Her, name, her, her Twitter handle, and this tells you a lot, is Tessa of Avonlea. So <laughs> ah, she okay. tweeted out one day. Yeah. She said, I really want to see a modern Anne of Green Gables. And she's like, I don't know, maybe set in New York City, Anna Manhattan. So Tessa, you know, name the book. Um, and a friend of mine was talking with her about it. And I kind of jumped in because I was like, oh my God, I want to read that. I'm like, what if it was like this? And I kind of threw out, I was like, you know, Anne and Field and competitive their whole lives. And then they wind up at the same grad school and they're like going head to head. Oh my God, that would be so fun to read. And Tessa was like, yeah, it would be. Can you write it? And I was like, yeah, eyes emoji. Oh. <laughs> so yeah, so everything fast forward, you know, a year later, um, mm-hmm. and we've gone from, you know, me sending her a very long summary and some chapters, and then Harper Collins bought the book, and then I had to write the book, which is funny how that happens. <laughs> yeah, and uh, and then here we are, two years later, and um, the book is coming out. So it's been crazy. It's been a a real ride. Um, I feel like I fell into a patch of clover there. But, you know, as far as reception, mm-hmm. okay, so I knew, I knew from the first moment I agreed to write this, it's a deeply divisive 
book. There are people mm-hmm. who really love it and people who are just horrified at the idea or the execution. Cause I'm not for everybody, mm-hmm. you know, nobody is for yeah. everybody. So there are people out there who's like, this is the worst thing I've ever read. And, <laughs> and people who won't even give it a chance because they're like, how dare she? Um, and, and I know this because I've seen some tweets. <laughs> but anyway. Yep. <laughs> I try to keep my blinders on. Um, but then there are people who really love it. And it, you know, that makes me so happy because I'm an Anne fan. And so, yes, I'm modernizing it. And yes, I do have to change some of the characters and I have to change the way some of them react. And I have to, you know, kind of update some things. Um, I put in a lot more diversity because it just doesn't make sense. It made, it made total sense in Alan Montgomery's very Christian, very white set in Prince Edward Island in like 1918. That made sense for it to be mm-hmm. like that. Right. Um, because that was very much the community she lived in at the time. And that's where she wrote it. Said it. Um, but that doesn't really make sense if you're on Long Island present day or if you're in New York <laughs> city present day. No. Yeah. Um, so I, I definitely know that's also gotten some complaints as people, um, some people are like, you know, she's throwing in diversity for diversity's sake and riding a that certain type train. Of and, yeah. And I saw somebody sent me, cause they thought it was hilarious. Somebody sent me a thread that was on Reddit about the book. And, um, <laughs> this, um, commenter was like, yeah, it's getting dragged a little bit on Goodreads for, you know, saying it's like diversity, cookies, whatever. And she's like, some people are just gay, Diana, or whatever she says, Susan, whatever. She's like, some people are just gay, Susan. And I thought that was so funny. I'm like, yeah, I mean, some people are just gay. It doesn't have to be immoral. It doesn't have to be. It's it's not a statement. There's no agenda here. It's not like, it's just, that's just the world. I'm sorry. Right. I don't have to have a reason for making someone bi or gay or black or, you know, whatever. I don't have to have a reason for it. I just wanted to give it a little bit more sort of modern realism. I think it would say something very... It would it if they thought about it for more than a second, which is more than sure. they're capable of that kind of person. But it like let's give them the benefit of the doubt here and say that if they thought about it for more than a second with more than one brain cell, they mm. would be able to to suss out the fact that if Anne did only have straight white friends, mm-hmm. that would ref- reflect more poorly on her. Mm-hmm. Like as a character, right. as her world, right. then I mean that's just a, such a stance to take. That's such a hill to right, die on. Right. You know? Well, you know, I have um, my friend, Chuck Wendag, he writes Star Wars. And then uh, he wrote some Star Wars books. And then I have other friends who wrote, I don't know, Stranger Things, Star Wars, um, Marvel comics, various mm-hmm. things. And I was talking to some of them. And, and one thing <laughs> Chuck and I were talking about, and he was like, you cannot let people get in your head about it. He's like, you no. just got to write what you think is the best book with those characters and you know that world and he's like just write the best book you can write and don't let people get in your head because you're never going to make everybody happy like that's not going to happen so yeah 
I mean, particularly with a fan favorite, right? right. You know, they're right. you are you are quite literally never going to be happy because <laughs> no. they're not even happy with the original, right? right? Like right. Uh, they say they are, but uh, it's like Star Wars fans, right? Like they mm. they say that they are happy with things and they want things, and then you give it to them, and it's never correct, right? Um, well, and I don't think it's bad sometimes to go back and, and question and sort of. You know, no. it's okay to criticize your favorites. Like that's, mm-hmm. that's good. You know, I noticed, so I'm, I'm Jewish and I noticed on a reread, um, as I was rereading before I started writing, just to make sure that I was like really in my head with it. I was like, oh, wow. There's this incident where, and, um, because she, in the original book, she really hates her hair as a kid. She's like, oh, it's orange and I hate it. And I want raven black hair and, you know, the whole thing. And so when this peddler comes around, he tells her, oh, I have, I have black hair dye. It'll make your hair beautiful. So Morel's not home. So she goes and buys it and inadvisably dyes it like so many of us do when we're in mm-hmm. middle school and have no supervision. And, uh, and it's like a greenish gray. Um, and it's horrible. And Morel basically has to cut off what Anne calls her shining glory, her crowning glory. And she had this beautiful long hair and Morel cuts it all off. And she's like, it's your own fault. Sorry, deal with it. Live with it. Don't do it again. And um, and so she has this tiny, tiny, short cropped, cropped hair. And I didn't realize it had never sunk in, but apparently the peddler was Jewish and he was portrayed as like this sly, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. um, cheap sort of uh yeah, stereotype, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. And it was like, again, product 1818, that's when she lived. Uh, you know, it's the product of the community she grew up in. Um, and so you have to you have to kind of keep that in mind. But at the same time, it's okay to criticize that. It's okay to say, like, yeah. you know what? Unfortunately, that little part of that that she wrote was anti-Semitic, you know? Um, yeah. But as a whole, I mean, I don't know. I just really love the love the series. So for me, I'm like, okay, I can critique this, and I can still love the rest of it, and that's okay. So. I think uh, we we had a conversation several times in this podcast about um, meeting meeting media where it's at, mm-hmm. um, and kind of like there are going to be warts. Sure. What we say today, twenty years from now, is right. going to have warts. Right. Um, and that doesn't make it okay. That doesn't mean that you should just go, you know, take all your clothes off, metaphorically speaking, and run down the street crazy. Yeah. Like, you know, like yeah. that, no. There are rules and you should be conscious of your behavior. Right. And uh, But that also means that, like in particular with The Flame and the Flower, right? Mm-hmm. On its face, The Flame and the Flower is a book about a 18-year-old woman named Heather who is violently assaulted by an American merchant and uh, becomes pregnant. And then her family blackmails him into marrying her. Mm. And then he spends the most of the rest of the book um, treating her terribly because he believes that she has orchestrated this forced marriage mm. and that has stung his pride, even though he wants her more than anything. Mm. Um, and and he is horrible to her. And uh, it's, 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 it's a hard book to read. Yeah. On on from my perspective today, I'm like this is not something that should ever be read. 
How could anyone have written this? This is not a romance novel. This is a nightmare. Was this written by V.C. Andrews? Because it kind of reads like that. Um, (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) to, to, To meet a piece of media where it's at mm. is not to excuse its mm. behavior. It's to look at the context of the time and to understand it. Mm. Um, and I, you know, to go back to the flame of the flower, meeting it where it's at, I had to think about the fact that the obscenity laws had just been struck down you know, mm. like 10 years before um, with the, the Fanny Hill, uh, mm. the, the last of Fanny Hill's great, great trials in the Supreme Court. Um, I mean, birth control was just beginning to really proliferate in the United States. Mm-hmm. Um, we, I mean, sexual liberation was like only, I mean, 70s, yeah. women still couldn't yeah. even really have their own bank accounts. Um, so how do we, from that context, how do we frame a woman's sexuality? How do we explore sexuality outside of marriage in something that is only just now being able to be sold in stores uh, mm-hmm. without throwing the author into jail, right, for it? Well, you frame it as she she said no. It's not she's she's still pure, right? right. And that's not good. Yeah. <laughs> that's very, very bad. Right. But that's the context. That's where we're meeting it. Um, and and I, I think in the same way, you know, when we encounter things like anti-Semitism in, uh, you know, yeah. Anne of Green Gables, we got to look at it and say, yep, that's a wart. <laughs> yeah. 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 That's the problem. But it's also, like you said, you know, you look at it as a context every time. And I'm not, I, I'm of two minds because sometimes I'm mm-hmm. like, well, you know, when people say, okay, nowadays people say, oh, they're another generation of like your parents or grandparents. Mm-hmm. And they say something racist and you're like, yeah. oh, they're another generation. This doesn't make it Okay. I mean, they should learn by now. Yeah. Like they're 75. They've had 75 years to figure it out. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, so for something like that, where it's a little bit more, you know, time-wise close, I'm like, yeah, there's not really an excuse. Um, But if I look at something a hundred years ago or a couple hundred years ago, it it really truly was such a different time and mindset for white, straight Christians, Mm -hmm. especially um, and a completely different culture and the way that mm-hmm. we're raised and raised to believe certain things. And so, yeah, you do see that in the writing. And I think that, um, a lot of people unconsciously carry that over that, yes. you know, do I think Ellen Montgomery sat there and maliciously thought like, who I'm going to write a mean character and make him like a Jew? No, I don't think that at all. I think that it probably just came out because it's a product of Probably what she had been exposed to her whole life, belief-wise. So you know, and, yeah, I, I, I yeah, I <laughs> try no not good to answer something it, too much right? when it's something like that. I'm like, okay, that yeah. sucks. Moving on. So <laughs> yeah, that's kind of that's kind of my approach too. Where it's like I can't I can't change this. Um, it has mm-hmm. you know uh, this thing has made its mark on on us as right. particularly like romance is so insular. Right. Romance is is a you know it's a self perpetuating machine, mm-hmm. right? The, you know one person publishes something that works really well, and then you can bet that for the next ten years we're right. just going to get you know repeat after repeat after repeat, mm-hmm. and it just becomes part of the ecosystem. It's right. a closed system we've got here, right. um, for better and worse. Right. And when we have something like that. 
we we got to acknowledge the warts, but right. we can't. You're never going to erase it. So yeah. what can you do aside from learn from it and take the good out mm-hmm. and maybe mm-hmm. use that more constructively in the future? Um, right. Because, I, you know, if it if this was a book, if her if that was in a book that was published recently, mm-hmm. forget it. I wouldn't yeah, I no, would not excuse that. I'd be like, no, I'm sorry. In this day and age, there's no excuse for that. There really is. No. Um, but yeah. So, I, yeah, I, I think. It's just time and context at that point forever. Yeah. You know, forever ago. I mean, I I do, I I did want to say, I mean, I did a a little bit of of research on, on, I didn't want to do too much because I didn't want to like, (laughs) like just overload myself on like Anne of Green Gables and like just a totally obscure Anne of Manhattan um, in my brain. Um, But I had no idea how many freaking copies Anne of Green Gables sold. Oh my gosh. Do you know that number? Do you know it? No, I don't know the number, but I I imagine it's millions. How how much? How much do you think? Just ballpark it. Five million? Ten million? Try 50 million copies. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. I can see it though because it's worldwide. I mean, yeah. it's, it's world, and that's probably only English. I bet that's only uh, yeah. English. It's been translated into thirty-six languages and sold more than fifty million copies oh, okay. uh, since nineteen oh eight. Like I, yeah, that's wild to me. I actually, so I am a, I'm, I'm a little bit of a magpie when it comes to like collecting vintage books and if it mm-hmm. looks pretty i'll just grab it i don't really care about what's in it or right. if i'll ever read it but I, I i like to restore books so years ago now i there is a there's an antique store by my by my old work by my old bookshop and they had a little section of like massively overpriced antique books um but of mm. course i was you know scope that every time i'd walk in before work and i saw this book that was like so pretty it's like sort of pink and it like had a little watercolor like girl on the front and i yeah. was like oh, wow hello <laughs> so I, I i bought it of course and as i was checking out the man behind the counter was like oh well you know this is part of the green gables right and i was like what and he was like yeah and i was like but it's not it doesn't say anne of green gables on it and he was like yeah it's the it's the second one and i was like oh i guess i just have a fundamental misunderstanding of how sequels work um um, but i have it here this is uh, a 1915 copy of the second book Um, i obviously didn't read it um but it's very pretty. It's got this like gorgeous. Uh... Well, you really should. You really need to read Anna Green Gables first, anyway. Like this is one of those series. I feel like to truly appreciate Anna as she gets older, you have to read the first book, and then you can move on. But yeah, yeah. But it's a really pretty copy. It's gorgeous. It's real. but I but I because I looked up that stat, I was like, I think I have. I think I have something. And then I found yeah. this and I, w- I looked at the, the, like, um, the, the inserts here mm. at the, like, um, they have the copyright page, right? Yeah. Um, and it's this huge list of all of the different printings they've done since 1908. Mind oh, you, really? my copy's from 1915. Right. It, there is 21 printings mm. it, by the time we get to 1915 right. of this book. Right. And this is a sequel. Yeah. So yeah, it's, I mean, it was a real phenomenon and it has been, I mean, it, you know, my grandmother read Anna Green Gables, you know, my mother read Anna Green Gables. I've read, 
it's it's multiple generations, millions of people. And um, and then, you know, when that I I don't know if you've I don't know if you've heard of it or if you've you're aware of it, but in 1985, they did the Canada, I think it was like Canada BBC, did uh, a mini series. Is that the one with the. Megan Follows. Yeah, the big puff sleeves. Yeah. Yes, her big puff sleeves. Um, but yeah, Megan Follows and um, Jonathan Crumbie. Oh my goodness, I lost it for a second there. Jonathan Crumbie, who unfortunately has passed away. Um, I think he had brain cancer, which was incredibly sad. Uh, just a few years ago, he passed away. Hmm. But um, yeah, and that's a really iconic miniseries for a lot of people. And it's there have been other little you know miniseries here or there, or just um, you know TV movies that sort of thing. And um, that 1985 one, the, the first one, and then they they get older. That whole series is so good. Um, it's so delightful. Megan Follows is like, in my mind, she is the perfect Anne. Although I know we have a huge following of Anne with the E fans too. Yes. Anne with an E fans here too. Um, and that's Netflix. Anne's dance, please. Right. And I know everybody's really like petitioning hard to Netflix for season four because it ended abruptly, I think, on season three. I don't even know if they got a real wrap up. Um, I wasn't able to watch it, unfortunately, because it was when I was writing and I yeah. could not watch that and write because I don't want to accidentally steal someone else's stuff. You can't, you can't cross the streams like yeah, that. That's I not, don't want to get yeah. it in my brain and, you know, um, and, and for that reason, I avoided uh, fanfic a lot too, because I was afraid, I was like, I don't even want to go on Archive of Our Own because <laughs> let's just not even log in this year, mm-hmm. which is incredible incredibly hard for me um so yeah i'm a huge fan oh yeah you fit right in on this podcast oh yeah yeah i, I ruined my <laughs> eyes with fan fiction oh, yeah. my my vision over the course of one single summer after i learned mm-hmm. that i could read it on my phone just free brightness in uh, at yeah at night yeah in the darkness about about an inch from my face yes, yes. two months eyesight obliterated <laughs> <laughs> yeah no again i came to fanfic very late i i only started reading fanfic probably eight years ago something like that um nine nine years ago and um yeah i just i got completely addicted to it and you're really sort of um separating the, the you kind of have to weed through it you have to be really patient um, and, and what I do like though, is there are a lot of new writers on there. So they're kind of developing their craft and yeah. <clears throat> excuse me. if you follow particular writers, you can see mm-hmm. them progressing. Or if you jump in and then you go back through their, their archive and you see all the stuff that they've written and you can look at something they've written six years ago and something they wrote, you know, two months ago and go, wow, but it's a huge difference, but like, what a great writer they are now. And you can see how much they've learned. And there's this whole community of writers and readers there. And yeah. So it's, it's, fanfic is really fun. Just like any other community, it can be very complicated and fraught. And, and yeah. uh, you know, I know a lot of the same issues crop up in fanfic that they do in the movie community, and the, mm-hmm. you know, publishing industry, everywhere else. Um, but I've also found it to be a really inclusive really warm community there's something really 
so I, I started writing fan fiction when I was ooh, nine years old, um, which uh, you can imagine <laughs> the quality of the fan fiction written by a nine year old and posted on the <laughs> Internet is something that no one needs to see. Um, but I, I pretty much continuously wrote fan fiction all throughout middle school and high school mm-hmm. um, and a tiny bit in college, but uh, not much because I I started writing my own books at that point. Um, yeah. But I, I, I am continuously uh, stunned by the, the concept of the the sheer glut of creativity mm-hmm. and time and effort and love that these writers put mm-hmm. into their work yeah. that they put out for free. Now mm-hmm. I do I hear what you're saying, Abigail. Yes, some people do have Patreons now. That's yes. a new development that I could not have even conceived yeah. of in mm-hmm. my fan fiction heyday, um, yeah. and still would probably be a little bit too scared to do because of Daddy Disney. But yeah. um, <laughs> you know, I I. The vast, vast majority of fan fiction is is free yeah. for for your comfort. Yeah. Um yeah. and free that labor, is free free emotional bandwidth, free I mean, these writers they put everything into it and they only get like, you know, likes and oh my god, this is so great. When's the next yeah. chapter? <laughs> yeah, that's what this get. one wasn't really that long, which is, I will say, has yeah. ruined me for actual publishing because <laughs> I had to train myself out of making the longest possible chapters. Yeah. I used to just write like like 10,000 word chapters and I thought oh that God. was what you were supposed to do. Right. Yeah. And then. And then I, I get into like actual writing for for uh, for other people, not on the mm. internet. And they're like, Abigail, you got it's like four thousand words max. You got to right. you got to stop. Right. And I'm like, Oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> this is a whole rewire in my brain. Um, <laughs> but I I have you know I I did an interview with author Melgo uh, recently, and we we talked about queer fan fiction mm-hmm. um, and and queer publishing, and we also right. talked about how. Fan fiction has its own merit. It has its. It mm-hmm. is not necessarily a stepping stone right. towards something "quote unquote" bigger. Yeah. That being said, if you want to learn how to write mm-hmm. in a low stakes environment, right. fan fiction is yeah. where it's at. Right, and if you want immediate gratification, because you, you ooh, sweet chapter, validation. You post a chapter, and the next morning you've got people who are you know next morning. Videos. Talk 20 like, minutes. Yeah, they're like making comments and yeah. But on the other hand, it can throw you into like, you know, as Anne was saying, the depths of despair because you're just not getting any hits on it or whatever. So yeah, it's, it's, it is very much an immediate um, sort of situation though. And you throw it out there. There are lots of people throw it out there and they don't have a beta. They don't edit it. They don't do anything. Um, no. And then there are people who will not put anything out until it's, absolute perfection um you know you guys still have good writing either way you just might have to slog through some uh missing words or bad punctuation (laughs) but Uh, sometimes it's worth it as a as an aside i i (laughs) one of the fan fiction horror stories that Mm. i encountered uh was way back when this person got I'm not even going to say the fandoms, but there were some Mm. niche crossovers happening, okay? Mm -hmm. And they got very popular, and they produced a lot of content. Mm. Um, But they they got 
greedy with mm. their uh their validation one mm. might say and they started putting yeah. this like sliding scale at the bottom of all of their chapters that would have like for this amount of reviews, I will post this quickly. For this amount of reviews, I will post this quickly. Oh. And then it started to evolve to be like, I will also do this word count for this amount of reviews. And like holding chapters hostage, basically. Yeah, no. no. I, um, I would probably walk away at that point as a reader. Because yeah, it, I, I was like, like oh, no, that's no. kind of like, okay, you know. Mm. You're not you're not paying your bills with this, buddy. I'm I'm I right. think you're gonna be okay if you don't right. get like five hundred reviews per per chapter. But right. um that is the the rare occurrence. Most people mm-hmm. are happy with anything. Yeah. Um, yeah. Absolutely. And and I'm I'm a huge uh reader, but I also I well, I recently cleared my my stash of stuff on there. Um just because it was old and I just didn't I figure eventually I'll write more stuff. But yeah, I I was started writing probably about five or six years ago. I went through a lull. I had after I decided wanted to write to publish, I started mm-hmm. self-publishing and I fell in with a group of historical romance authors who were local, not local, but um, you know, and I was doing some anthologies and they were novellas. And so I was mm-hmm. doing some self-publishing novellas. I kind of caught that new self-publishing wave in like 2012 when it just really was just getting huge. And so I did novellas and they did well and it was under a different name, but the, you know, I realized historical romance is not my genre. Um, I don't love the research and I feel like it's just not where I need it to be. Um, so I stopped and I didn't know what I wanted to do. So I probably didn't write for publication for about two years. And so in the meantime, being that I am a writer and it was killing me not to write, I started writing fiction. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, so that was all I did for like two years. And what's really funny is my husband, uh, he says to me, he said, you know, I'm glad that you're still writing. I know it's been like a rough time. And I also had some health issues. So I know it's been a rough time. I'm glad you're writing. But don't you think maybe... You should start trying to write something with an eye towards publishing or, you know, submitting it somewhere. And I was like, yeah, I know, I know, I know. And uh, and he kind of nudged me a few different times. And then when I got this deal, he was like, all right, I'm not going to try to tell you anything anymore because apparently writing fanfic worked out for you. <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah. yeah. But is, is it fanfic if you're getting paid? I mean... Yeah, you know? yeah, I guess, I guess. But I joke around that like every comic book writer is a fan yeah. writer. You know, yeah. like I, Yeah. Well, every yeah. writer in the I Renaissance mean, was writing Bible right. fanfic. Like, let's be right. real. Right. And I, you know, you can I personally because I see nothing wrong with writing fanfic. I love it. I no. think it's great. And so yeah, all these modern adaptations and um, you know, Virginia Cantra is like it's Megan Joe, and then she has Amy Beth, and then um, Sonali Dev does hers yes. and, and various people who are doing and it's like look you know technically guys you're doing alternative you, you're doing an AU yeah, I'm sorry you're doing, you're doing a little bit of a modern it's, AU did you notice? Yeah that's what you're doing <laughs> but yeah it's... you know I, I, I love that I think uh, there is 
there's a lot of criticism out there right now about, uh, you know, oh, getting we need fresh content. I'm so tired of reboots. But I mean, people read fan fiction like you mm-hmm. would not believe. I don't think people are actually tired of reboots. What they're tired of are, you know, reboots without soul. And particularly mm-hmm. Anne of Manhattan, like your book is not without soul by any means um i i oh i felt the yearning like <laughs> so like strongly yeah. um that is the core of gilbert Blythe is his steadfast never really wavering even when he wants to even when he is like you know it's just killing him to be in love with Anne um and to be so fascinated and caught up with her because she is just not on the same page as him for a really long time. And uh, even when he's sort of berating himself for it, um, he never really wavers. And I just think that's really lovely. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I never really got it when people were like, I wish I had my, my own Gilbert Blythe or whatever. Yeah. I was always like, I mean, I guess that's the same as like saying you wish you had a Darcy or whatever. Yeah. It is not the same. This boy is so tender. <laughs> he is so tender. He is. He's soft. He is. He's... Um, and, you know, he's not. So, so this is funny. So I had someone say to me when I said that I really wanted to do a dual point of view on the book. And Anna Green Gables, the original series, is not. It is Anne's mm-hmm. point of view. So you only see Gilbert from Anne's point of view. But I, I still maintain, because somebody said to me, oh, are you sure you want to do dual point of view? Because I got to tell you, in the original books, he's kind of not that interesting. And I was like, I'm sorry, excuse me, what? Like, no, he's funny. He's, he's a little bit of a troll. As you know, you know from the famous scene where he uh, gets annoyed that he can't get her attention, and so he, in, in the original series, he yanks on her braids and says like carrots, and of course that enrages Anne because um, she's very sensitive about her hair. And uh, but yeah, I mean, I think in the original series, he's I think it comes across really well how lovely he is and um, how much of a large heart, sort of um, an endless capacity for love. And, and um, yeah, I, I, I didn't see it. I was like, I don't understand what you mean by he's bland or boring. I don't understand that. The, the lack How of interest was, yeah, was not my concern. I think it would have been very easy to accidentally turn him into a bully. Mm -hmm. Um, and unintentionally so like obviously Mm -hmm. he's basically doing everything he possibly can to get her attention but Mm -hmm. it's very easy for you know I think we've all dealt with the person who says things or does things to to get somebody's attention and it comes off as very mean right right? Um, Right. and in romance we have a tendency to kind of like be like oh well it's fine now that they're together and he's just super nice now um and you did not do that by any stretch of the imagination he's not a bully but i think it would have been very easy to accidentally tread that territory right yeah and in um ellen montgomery's version she you know she he pretty much apologizes right away and he's like, oh, I'm really sorry. Can't we be friends? And Anne is like, you're dead to me. And then she basically maintains that for years. Yeah. Like he does not exist for her for years. I think she must have been a tourist like myself. But <laughs> eventually she forgives him and they become friends. But, you know, I, 
So I didn't want to portray him as a bully. And that is yeah. a hard line to walk because you have those people who are like, oh, boys will be boys. They're putting mm-hmm. your pigtail because they like you. And so while I wanted to portray that, um, that first meeting, disastrous meeting that is so famous, um, I also didn't want to, you know, turn it into him being a, a terrible brat to her, you know, yeah. and, and being awful and um mm-hmm. and yeah like you said bullying her so yeah was... I think your I think doing the dual perspective was a very smart choice because you mm-hmm. do see his logic and you do see him wrestle with himself even when he's like 12 or 13 <laughs> and, and and he's just like hold up I don't I don't know why I do the stupid things that I do but I just need her to look at me yeah um and it's like oh you poor sweet dumb little chair I just want to squish your face um that's not how you do bud that's not how you do and then he's so confounded when she like continuously rejects him and that also is hilarious because it's like buddy you really can't see why she's not like really (laughs) yeah I actually have a scene unfortunately it's a scene that got cut from the um from the book and I'll have to I'll have to put it on my website um Mm -hmm. but it's it's a scene where uh it's it's probably like a year after they have first met and they're in school and they're in the library and she's over at one table and she's studying with some friends. So he is at a library table over nearby her um, with her in his in his line of sight and he's with his friend Charlie and Josie Pye. And both of them are original characters um, from or characters from the original book. Um, and Josie Pye is sort of like the mean girl at school. And in the original book, she's just, she's just awful. She's an unlikable character. Um, and you do see, you do kind of get little hints of maybe why she's so unlikable or she's so awful, you know, to people. Um, but anyway, she's always been awful to Anne. And she always had this thing. Part of it, I think, is because she really wanted Gilbert and Gil always wanted Anne. And so she was like, well, then I'm just going to be a horrible rat. And um, so in the library scene, I have it where, you know, he's sitting there and he's kind of doing his thing and then he's thinking to himself and then he says the thing that he didn't mean to say out loud. He was thinking it and then it comes out of his mouth and he's like, oh, my God. And he he kind of calls across our table. He's like, hey, are you going to homecoming? And she's like, is he talking to me? (laughs) And it's sort of that. Where she's like, yeah, and it's kind of like, um, I don't know, I haven't decided or whatever. And and Charlie's sitting next to him like, oh, my God. <laughs> and he's like internally panicking, like, yeah. why did I even ask? That's so embarrassing. Like, I just gave her another opportunity to shut me down. And, and Josie Pye's sitting there getting madder and madder that he's like mm-hmm. talking past her to Anne. And so, but my editor was like, I love this scene, but it's it's too many, like, we have too many flashbacks already. You can't, you can't have that in there too. So I was like, dang it. So I figure, well, I'll just make sure that it's all brushed up and then I'll put it on my website if people enjoy that. So. Yes, absolutely. I, I I will say one of my, as we're closing out here, I, mm-hmm. I want to just, if, if you are not a fan of Anne of Green Gables, if you are not even necessarily a fan of, of contemporary romance listeners, 
one of the reasons, I think maybe the reason you should read this book is because your dialogue is so freaking fun and crispy as a fresh carrot. It is so good. I was... I was just like snickering at like every line. It's like so quippy and like interspersed with like intense emotion as well. So it was like this like one minute you get a little cool glass of water and then the next minute someone would slap you across the face and then they give you another cool glass of water. <laughs> like, you know? Yeah. Uh it was it I I and I and I bring it up now because talking about like the homecoming scene mm-hmm. and talking about how like the interactions mm-hmm. these like painful like prepubescent interactions mm-hmm. that we have mm-hmm. and we see but also we hear them talk about sometimes because you do mention the homecoming situation yeah. uh, in 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 a scene right. um and we don't get it but we, he talks about how he's like yeah like i tried to ask her one time and then she like fully shut me down yeah um yeah uh and and you you feel it and the dialogue is very it feels so comfortable. It mm-hmm. feels so much like you're just sitting in a room with these people who have known each other for their whole lives and they have all of this context and all of this baggage and mm-hmm. all of this humor. And it just, it's perfect. I oh, love every bit of dialogue in your book. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I think um, I think that's where I, I realized as I was writing, I was like, oh, maybe I have found my home at the corner of like, you know, rom-com and contemporary because I really, really enjoy it. I enjoyed writing it. And it also, I mean, obviously for me, it was also the characters. Um, mm-hmm. it, that's so huge. But yeah, I, I, I'm really glad to hear you like that and you thought it was funny. Because another thing is when when they sent me, when HarperCollins sent me um, the back copy that, that they were mm-hmm. putting out everywhere, uh, that they were putting in the librarian catalogs, bookseller catalogs, everything. And it said something like a charming, heartfelt, and hilarious book, you know, debut book. And I was like, and I mean, mind you, I hadn't even finished my edits. And I was like, Oh, that's a lot of pressure, huh? Yeah, I'm like, wait, I have to be funny? Nobody told me I'd be funny. So, so it was just one of those things where I was like, oh, God, I hope I'm funny. <laughs> hey, hey, listen. Listen, listen, Brian. Listen, okay. <laughs> You're fine because even if you weren't funny, so are like ninety percent of the rom coms that they're advertising. Don't even trip. Yeah, I know, I know. I see that a lot on uh, on online, and people are like, "Do publishers know what rom com means?" I because I feel like someone needs to tell them what it means. But yeah, but they I, the thing is, they now they know, but it'll take mm. two years for it to catch up. Right. By then, they'll be behind on something else. Right. Right. Like how we're getting moves very slow. Very slow. Yeah, it's 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 listen, it's a it's a train that kind of trundles, right? And it's it's not going very fast, but you still need like some advance notice to get it to stop before it hits like the car on the track, you know what I'm saying? For sure. Yeah. (laughs) Like um okay. So speaking of trains on the track, you are a debut author. You have a lot going on. Um you are, I know you're doing like a takeover of like Avon's Twitter. Like I Instagram. am. Yeah. Yeah. Actually the same, the same day the podcast will be up on June 2nd. So. Oh, wonderful. That's yeah. perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, 
So I I figured that you have an enormous amount of pluggables. So I am going to give you this beautiful space here. Do you see it? Can you feel it? Can you taste the mouth feel? <laughs> yeah. It's here for you. Yeah. No, I have. Uh, well, I do have the, the Avon um, on June 2nd coming up. It'll be a takeover. And I'll probably be on and off all day posting some things. And I was going to post on their um, Instagram TV a reading, so I'll do a, mm-hmm. a reading, um, and then I'll be doing a live session um, in the evening, but I haven't settled on time. And June 1st, we are still, last minute, we are still working on confirming the event we're going to do, but it's going to be a virtual event, um, and I believe my local bookstore. But um, right now, Jenny Holiday and Ruby Lang are going to be joining me, um, and they are two other rom-com authors who are brilliant and funny. And I love them. Um, yeah, and then I've got some other events that I will be posting mostly on Twitter and Instagram as we go, but some really good author panels, um, Kat Sebastian, and um, uh, the queer sensibilities of uh, Kit Webb, right? Oh, Coming yeah. out soon. Oh yeah, yes. and hers is. I want to say it's the sixth. It's it's the following Tuesday from when Anne comes out. So, yeah, and she's brilliant. She's been a friend of mine for a long time, um, and she's an Avon author. And uh, and then um, Prislesa Williams, who wrote Low Country Guide, and her book is coming out the same day as my book. So that'll be fun. Um, we're going to do something. I think that's in a couple weeks. And then I am going to be, I'm in North Carolina. So in Winston-Salem, I'm going for the bookmarks. Weekend uh, in Winston-Salem Bookmarks book Bookstore, and they're also a non-for-profit organization, and they put on something called the Movable Feast and Parapalooza. So uh, Saturday night, the 12th, I'll be doing reading with other authors, and uh, then the next day, it's sort of a speed dating style thing where people can buy tables, and it's all for charity, so they buy tables, and then the authors sort of go and they spend five minutes or 10 minutes at the table and they answer questions and talk and whatever, and then you rotate. So yeah, it's going to be really fun. So, and and that will be streaming. All that will be streaming too. So I'll be posting all of these things. Um, Yeah, mostly on Twitter and Instagram, although I do have a Facebook page. I just have to remember to update it. So. Don't we all have a Facebook page that's languishing? I don't yeah. really want to talk about that. Yeah. And I have my website where I'll be posting updates for everything too. And that's just brianastarlow.com. So that's easy. Um, okay. But for the sake of anybody who has not didn't follow my instructions at the start of this podcast, which was to scroll down to look at the description of this podcast that I worked very hard on to make very funny and then <laughs> clicked on the, the link. If they didn't do that, which I'm I'm looking at you, person who I cannot see. Um, <laughs> if you do not do that, what is your username for Twitter and Instagram? Um, it's very easy. It is Brian Starler. I want to make it easy for everyone. It's, um, that's that's lucky. Pinterest, that's Instagram, that's, you know, uh, um, Twitter, Facebook, and I am on TikTok, which I've only done a couple of things because I'm still with feeling the it out with the youths, as the kids say on the TikTok. Um, but I find, oh my God, everybody on TikTok is so funny and they're so clever and they're so original. And so I'm like, I'll just post a couple of things, but I'm not going to try to beat that. Um, but I'm actually, Brian is writing over there. 
Okie dokie. Well, I'm going to put all of that in the description in case you you did follow my instructions and you did look and also look at the other ones that I put on the other podcast too, because I get, I do work really hard to make those fun. <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> no, I, my own family doesn't even read the descriptions of my podcast, so <laughs> I, I have a chip on my shoulder. Um, but uh, you can find all of that there as well as the, it's technically right now, it's a pre-order link, but mm-hmm. um, it will be by this time a regular old order link for yeah. Anne of Manhattan, which through bookshop.org, um, through our bookshop, the Kingdom of Thirst bookshop, it's helps authors, it helps indie bookstores, yes. and it helps uh, your local indie podcast, this one. Mm-hmm. Uh, so click that link, buy that book cry about Anne and, and <laughs> her, her boy her boy Gilbert and their misunderstandings and their trials and travails um, and grad school, which I wouldn't touch with a 10-foot pole. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, me neither. I had to talk to a lot of people who have gone to grad school and like, You didn't me. go to grad school? I, I felt not. like you went to grad school. Okay, I was so, like, she, she been do, she been new. No, and, um, and, and so I know, you know, we're wrapping it up, so I won't get too descriptive, but actually, um, your girl here didn't even go to college. I went to college for like two semesters and I dropped out. And then I, um, I went to culinary school and got a culinary degree. So. Well, Completely you know, unsuited for writing. <laughs> as somebody who went to two and a half years of art school to become an illustrator and then dropped out to make less money as a writer and podcaster, oh, I feel you. Yeah. 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 But, I, yeah. but my determination is someday I will write a um, at least one, if not a trio, of culinary romances. That's Nobody actually, is. I was literally just about to say, are yeah. we going to get like a fun, like culinary romance from you soon? Yeah, I got to use this degree. My mother is like giving me side eye about not using it at some point. I'm sorry. You use your degree every time you make a meal. Yeah, my kids don't appreciate it. That's, well, ain't that just the way? Yeah. Uh, as, as an ungrateful child myself, I can confirm. Um, okay. <clears throat> so I will do my pluggables now. If you haven't listened to this podcast before, hey, probably should have. I don't know, introduce the podcast at some point, but I, I don't do that. So if you're going to listen to more, get used to it. Uh, <laughs> this this is Romance Novel Podcast. If you didn't figure it out, I don't know why I'm putting this at the end, but there we are. Uh, but you can find me at Kingdom Thirst literally everywhere. Um, there's no of in there. Twitter like took it out when I went to sign up to do my username. I don't know. It felt very pointed. So it's just Kingdom Thirst, which works. Um, Also on Instagram, I do a lot of uh, mini reviews on Instagram Mm -hmm. for books that I love. Um, Not just romance, but like nonfiction, YA, uh, Mm -hmm. sci-fi, literary fiction, a bunch of stuff, mystery, um, things like Yangtze Choose the Night Tiger and The Disreputable History of Frankie Lando Banks was my most recent mini review. Highly recommend if you haven't given it a look. We also have a Discord server, which you can find the link for, again, in the description, if you just do me a solid and scroll down. Uh, it's there. It's full of really cool people who do really cool things. Um, there are a bunch of bunch of jokers in there who give me a hard time and believe I would not survive in the wild if I were dumped out into, into the <laughs> wilderness, which I resent heartily. Uh, and, and yeah, we don't have much more than that. We're going to be doing um, a... a Kings with Earth's birthday month, which is rapidly approaching. It's going to be in October. We're doing four weeks of special episodes. One mm. of those episodes is going to be a listener request episode. We all already have like two slots full of things that 
my horrible, horrible listeners want me to do, like reading old timey <laughs> terms for for genitalia, and oh, uh, <laughs> yeah, and and a and a, a, a sad libs, which is just horrible mad libs, which is saying something. Um, Kingdom of Thirst related mad libs, I suppose. Uh, so if you have any suggestions for that feel free to to hop in the discord and pop those in there or just at me on twitter or on instagram on facebook again i have a facebook i post things there not popping off quite like the other ones but Mm. yeah we'll get there with i'll I'll get those moms i'll get them someday (laughs) uh but uh other than that, um, I'm going to be doing some special requests soon for mm-hmm. my listeners for that birthday month. You request things from me. I request things from you. It's a very transactional relationship. Uh, specifically, I'm going to be asking for sound bites soon for a very, very special episode of the podcast, the finale uh, of, of the birthday month, which is going to be... Um, quite something. I'm hoping to get a piccolo or some sort of bagpipe involved. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's going to be something. It's going to be very good. I'm going to be putting that request out soon, so keep an eye out. Um, And uh, yeah, you know, hit me up. I'm I'm always here to to talk. And if you have any requests for episodes of the podcast, um, if you liked this episode, if you liked me talking to to Brenna, it was fabulous. I had a fantastic time. You can always drop a review. You know, you know. Um, And that's all I have to say besides thank you so much for being on the podcast. It's been a delight. Your book is wonderful, and I'm so glad I got to read it, even though I'm an absolute and noob. I'm so sorry. (laughs) That's okay. Like I said, I'm I'm so happy to hopefully be a gateway to um, Montgomery's and, um, and, and, you know, back and forth. But, uh, But thank you so much for having me. I really, really enjoyed myself. I'm glad. Well, I will uh, see you soon. I will see my listeners soon because I'm always watching you. And uh, we will uh, catch you next Wednesday. Bye.